I'm gonna trick former guest Ben into making us a theme song. That's it. Okay. Better, closer, warmer. Uh, all modern art is communistic. I want to be the first man to nut in space. Fuck you. Fuck off. Where are we finding it? Why can't we Better, find it? Closer, Why do you guys warmer. keep saying all this change? We're playing Fortnite. Let's have fun. We need to get to that post-World War II mentality where Better, closer, no one in the warmer. world is going to Twitch and typing in climate first. Don't tweet us about how our stuff's inaccurate. At this point, I don't think the N-word tape would change anything. The piss tape might. From New Orleans to New York. It's the Alienos Podcast, baby. Dude, that was TNT. Welcome back to the Millennials Podcast. I am Smith. I'm Seth. We are dry once again this week, Seth, like the Sahara Desert. Yep, we are as dry as the climate of Arrakis, because we're doing a second Dune episode, baby! <laughs> so let's talk about Children of Dune real fast. Yes, no, please. Um... No, it's I did I did see an interesting interview with uh Frank Herbert from the seventies. Uh yeah. he didn't give me any interviews. I saw one from him where hey, what he was his take on NFTs? <laughs> he would have shit himself if he, ever, yeah. if he knew what they what they were doing. <clears throat> but he 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 said basically two very interesting things. He said that, you know, we need to transition away from fossil fuels and it's 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 you know bad for the environment. He knew it in the seventies, you know, it was not new information for anybody who knew what they were looking into. But he said at one point that at some point we're going to have to bite the bullet and pay for things. Uh, and that cost will not be just monetary, but in other respects as well. And he said that he refuses to tell his grandchildren, there's no more planet for you. We use it all up. Yeah. And I feel bad for Frank Herbert knowing what happened after he died. Well, luckily he didn't have to tell his grandkids that. Now his grandkids have to tell their grandkids something different. True, true. You know, a lot of folks give Brian Herbert and Kevin J. Anderson shit, and I do too, because the books are bad. Yeah. But Frank Herbert wrote more Dune novels to pay for his wife's medical bills, so I don't think he would care that his son ruined, the or not ruined, wrote very bad books and made money. He probably wouldn't give a shit. He'd be like, yeah, sure, get paid, dude. Like, yeah. I didn't. I'd be fine with it. Because even he started doing just absolutely bonkers stuff in those later books. He's still a very good writer, so bonkers stuff just kind of sounds good. It's kind of yeah. that's the issue with like people like Anderson and Brian Herbert is they're just not that good at writing, <laughs> so their ideas just kind of fall flat. Also, the fact that all their books explore the past of Dune. I don't care about the past of Dune. Like that was all weird shit that happened before. I don't want to know mean, about yeah. all that. It's the the prequelization we do now, where every little thing has to be explained. Which is one of the great oh, parts about Dune is I like like that I was kind of dropped into this random segment of time, and you know this anything that's important you understand from context. You don't have to have a whole like two or three books to understand all, all the little all the context. So. Like the Butlerian Jihad, it's just mentioned a couple of times, and you figure it out what the fuck it was, and you can yeah. figure it out from context. It was a war against machines. And that's all you need to know. I didn't know all the details of the Butlerian Jihad. Yeah, I got so depressed when I found out that the book about the Butlerian Jihad was written by Kevin J. Anderson. I was like, yeah. God. If anybody needed to write that book, it should have been Frank. Because you know what was really funny to me is that in their version of the Butlerian Jihad, it's named for a person named Butler. Yeah. But I always thought that it was Butler as in the machines were like Butlers. They were the Butlers for our civilization. And it was our, it was our Jihad against them. 
yeah. you know, uh, in that in that context, that role. That's what I always thought when I read the book. So I think that their their version is dumb, <laughs> but get paid, I guess, right? Yep. If it sells, it sells. That's Kevin J. Anderson's thing. He just doesn't he like when he when he writes books, he just takes hikes and dictates them into his phone. Yes. And then just has it just text to speech the whole book for it. Yep. Yep. He has an assistant that then goes through and, and turns that into a, a book, basically. Um, God, that, apparently, me and that assistant, that's got to be rough. But from what I've heard, he actually does. He literally just says the words into the microphone as they go onto the page. Like, it's not it's not like he says some vague yeah. shit and this other person does the writing. Like, he fucking dictates a book. And it's funny because, like, no, you, like, even when you're talking, you don't talk like you would write a book so the fact that he just has to flip that switch in his head and start talking that way while he's hiking up a mountain like does he hike with other people do they just like people walk by and they're like what is this guy on about is he okay it's genuinely impressive can you imagine if a, if a grizzly man situation happened to get <laughs> god forbid a bear kills him while he's getting a novel and his assistant is just like uh-huh uh-huh oh this is weird why is he saying ah, ah yeah, no is, please uh, stop get away just press it anyway <laughs> No one knows the difference. Mm-mm. It's just the same stuff. Oh, be man. Good. That wouldn't be good. I shouldn't <laughs> so, say that, but that would be right. a funny scenario to think about. I did see someone say that the Dune movie, they didn't enjoy it because it took itself too seriously. And no, I was like... You're wrong. Come on. It is nice to have a movie that takes itself seriously. It, yeah. it is nice. Like I said, I have no problem with tongue-in-cheek, but it's not for everybody, you know? It's like it's just good for occasionally we can have we can have a movie where shit is real, you know, and, yeah. and we treat it as such. And people bring it up a lot, especially now that there's a bunch of discourse trademark um about Dune and like Marvel movies and all this stuff. And we talk about like the what is it the Joss Whedonification of movies, where like everything had to be like every movie had to be funny, and mm-hmm. that's where that's where all this like crit- criticism of Dune not being funny is from. It's like oh, where are all the jokes? It's like well. If you think about before the Whedonification, there were plenty of movies that didn't have jokes. It wasn't like necessary for every action movie to be really funny. Like, they could just mm-hmm. be action or thrillers could just be thrillers. They didn't have to have all these jokes in them. Um, and I think Dune is kind of a, a good example of, yeah, you don't, you don't have to do that all the time. Sometimes a movie just doesn't have to have a joke in it, and that's fine. Yeah, if you guys want to see a movie that has no jokes in it, but is absolutely balls to the wall one of the best movies i've ever seen watch steve mcqueen's widows remember widows that movie has zero levity yeah it is one of the most serious movies i've ever seen and it is goddamn amazing so it's good you don't you don't need it I, 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 until you said right now, I didn't realize, but yeah, there's, there's basically no jokes in that entire no, fucking no. movie. It, it just, <laughs> it's it not, just, not a, a light movie in any way. It's not grim. It's just, it's just, it exists and is yeah. a serious, uh, a thing, I guess. And, hey, hey, listen, Dune has one joke. That's all it needs. We have the one joke. We give it to Jason Momoa. Let him, let him get his it's joke in. the trailer. In and he leaves. So, guess what? Yeah. There it is. I you feel can tell like the there was Dune. one other, like, not even a joke, like kind of like a chuckle moment. I can't remember what it was. I feel like there was one more though. I didn't even. There was a moment where Jason Momoa makes a joke about the sand compactor, which is funny to them, but, but not no, to us. Absolutely not funny to us. I, that was one of, coming out of the theater. I was like, "Am I dumb? I even I read the book and I don't even understand why this is funny." Right. Yeah. Um. So yeah, 
But hey, good on them. Yeah. Well, it it felt like it was a joke we didn't get. Like we're we're not supposed to. You're 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 the viewer. You don't. And maybe it's just like soldiers laughing at nothing. That could be it because that happens many times in real life. You know, people laugh yeah. at nothing. I, it, but you know, it was it was a, a rare moment where people were, were enjoying themselves. Which in the, in the Dune universe, people don't enjoy themselves. They're not supposed to. It's no. it's a nightmare world. <laughs> you don't yeah. want to live there. No. It shouldn't look appealing in any way. And Bill New have nailed that. I would not want to live in this universe. Hell no. I really loved the very brief glimpse of Getty Prime we get, which is in in the Lynch movie also just a hellscape, just the worst place imaginable. You would not want to live there in any in any circumstance. Even the Harkonnens don't want to be there, and it's their planet. Yeah, I don't even I don't know why I did this, but I went through on there's an alternative to IMDb called TMDB. I use it sometimes because it has like an open API for developers, so I can like get movie data. But mm-hmm. I was looking at their page for Dune, and I was like, let me just see what these user reviews are like. And most most of them were pretty good. Like, we got two-word reviews. Like, oh, good movie, bad movie, whatever. And then yeah. one guy went and wrote a pretty long review. He gave it four stars out of ten. Um, and he was like, I'm a big fan of the book. I, <clears throat> He's like, I'm a big fan of the book. I, uh, I, I kind of like Lynch's movie, but it has its own problems. And then it's funny because he talks pretty positively about the movie. Um... And then, but then in the middle of the review, just in a little parenthetical, he's like, he talks about, oh, Dr. Liet Kynes, who has an unnecessary gender change, gender switch up in the movie, by the way. Uh, okay. Um, and, <laughs> and then by the, by the end of the review, he was he still kind of just mostly said positive stuff. He's like, but yeah, it's just not that good. And gave it four stars. I'm like, it seems like you only had real one complaint about the movie. Right. It seems very specific. Like, Liette Kynes is such a, I don't want to say forgettable character, but there's so many characters in Dune. And Liette Kynes is so small compared to everything else. Yeah. And I forgot that that he that he was a he in the book. Like, I was like, I don't know this guy exactly, but he, yeah. sure, whatever. Like, honestly, who cares what gender or race Liette Kynes is? Right, yeah. It's a very, very malleable character. Most of the characters are pretty malleable. Dune is set in fucking 10,000, and not even like our 10,000. 10... Trillion or whatever for us, like people are gonna look way different there, right? So, and I would say yeah. that in Dune, gender plays a huge role in yeah. things, obviously. But some characters, like yet kinds as gender is not important. There's no reason that it couldn't be a woman or whatever. It's not a big deal. So yeah. that complaint it strikes me as like you're you're really telling yourself there when you say that because there's no reason to care what gender yet kinds is. Yeah. It's just not relevant. And also, I don't you know I don't like to tell people their opinions are wrong. But if you think that the score in this movie is bad, you're wrong. Yeah, you're just wrong. The music absolutely rules. I'm sorry, it, that's just how it is. I I heard someone say this, and I I've come to agree with it. This is Hans Zimmer's best score. It might be. I think. I I had a hard time grappling with that at first because I thought that Hans Zimmer was a hack. Not a hack, became a hack after a while. But yeah, it's the same bomb stuff for every movie. But this impressed me, and I think it might be my favorite Hans Zimmer soundtrack ever. But I think the bomb stuff makes us forget actually how good the Inception music is, though. You're, yeah, you're not wrong. Because I did. I actually was listening to like a playlist of movie scores the other day. I heard Inception, and I'm like, oh, this thing this thing is really good. We just kind of like yeah. went sour on it. But it's in, in a vacuum, that thing is great. 
Well, they put the blob in the trailer for Inception, and it they was did. like, oh, this is new. This is, what is this? This is some mustard right here. Yeah. And then they, they put it in the actual fucking movie, and you're like, oh, this, this fucking rules. And then everything did it. So I guess um, you're right. It's like, yeah. It, when, when everyone copies your shit, you it starts to feel old by comparison. But if you go back and just watch Inception, you're right. It, it the first time it's, the first time you do it is good. Yeah, it's really good. So, it's um, a lot of words about Dune for a, <laughs> yeah, a regular for a, episode a show that is not about Dune at all. Right. Um, never even heard of Dune. What? It, never been to the beach. Don't know what that is. I've never seen sand in my life. Yeah. So what is so? I, I, I kind of mentioned it earlier. I think the thing that's on everyone's mind right now uh-huh. is NFTs. Right. Like, NFTs have like we we've mentioned this so many times, but in the span of about eight months, let's say NFTs have lived, thrived, died, been reborn, thrived, and are while thriving, destroying the environment. Yeah. All mm-hmm. in that 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 eight month period we've talked about. Sometimes, Seth, it feels like the I'm the crazy one, and the world is like trying to tell me, "Wake up, wake up, Smith! You're, you're dreaming." Mm-hmm. Because everybody else seems to think this NFT thing is just whatever. They they haven't heard of it. They hate it, or they're super into it, and it's making so much money that I'm like, I think the super into people are right. They're wrong, obviously. I'm not crazy. The world is crazy. That's the simplest explanation for this. This, yeah. but sometimes I feel like I'm losing my mind a little bit here. Yeah, all this crypto and NFT stuff. Um, it's no matter what the original intention was to have decentralized stuff or blockchain, blah blah blah. It has now become. It's now been commodified by big banks and big capitalist industry. So there's. If you're in it, at, if you're in it in the, for this dream of decentralized stuff or true digital ownership, that's dead. Now it is just a commodity. It's like stocks in companies, except more volatile. Um, and that's all it is. I mean, it's it's yeah. really it's because like here's the thing. Like I think there was some economic theory for this, but basically, you know, we every ten to fifteen years, something has to has to come out. People are gonna start spending their money on again. Once something become becomes commonplace, you know, there's only so much you can do with it. You know, mm-hmm. you're not really going to revolutionize toilet paper. People are going to buy more of it. Well, I guess unless there's a pandemic, but um, no one's ever going to buy more than they need of toilet paper most of the time. Right. So then, okay, now what, what are we getting by next? Oh, we got to, you know, do this. And now NFTs and crypto has just become one of those things. Um, it's just another thing people are going to sink money into. People are going to make big money off of. And most people are going to continue to be poor. Yeah. Do you know anyone that owns an NFT stuff? An NFT? No, I know crypto people. I don't. I don't know any NFT people. What do the crypto people? What do they think is going to happen with cryptocurrency? Well, I've met a couple of types. I've met. I've met one who is completely evangelical, and I don't know. I don't know what what their vision of the future is. And I've met some. Some of them are. I've met one that was openly like, oh yeah, I'm just doing, I'm just putting money into it and hoping I can make a profit and get out. That's all I want to do. And I'm like, okay. I mean, as long as you're open about it, I don't care. Mm-hmm. Um, but other ones, I don't know, because I was talking to one of them recently. It was around the time that like, there was all that uh, controversy. I mean, the, it's still controversy about how it's, you know, people are farming it so much that it's like taking all these resources and it's really bad for the environment. 
And I was like, I told them that. I was like, oh, what do you think about that? What do you think about the environmental impact of crypto? And they're like, well, the environmental impact of crypto is less than like the environmental impact of automobiles, but we still use those. And I was just like, well, you're right. But also we still have, we in the modern world, we have a need for vehicles, at least in some capacity. We don't have any need for cryptocurrency. <laughs> Like, okay, me stabbing you is less <laughs> bad than me shooting you, but it's still bad, yeah. right? It's like if I went outside and killed five people, I could have killed ten people, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but I did You heard here first, so folks. I'm Seth the hero. He could, he could kill ten people. <laughs> <laughs> he could. Easy. No problem for Seth. Yeah. Unarmed, taking him down one by one, single combat. Easy for Seth. You're like 50 so, Cent yeah. in the fucking video game where he teleports <laughs> you to the pity zone and kills you. <laughs> but yeah, so that was, and the, at that point, I just, I didn't really know what else to say to them because I was like, the necessity for vehicles, I do think we should have less necessity, but we still have mm-hmm. a tangible, real necessity for vehicles, but we don't have any necess- necessity for a, quote, decentralized currency. It doesn't right. actually do anything for us. The world is a nightmare that requires you to use cars to get around. That's not good, though. That's not a good thing. It's not, it's not an argument in your favor. Yeah. I have to do this bad thing, so I'll do another bad thing, too, because it's less bad than the other thing. It's not a good argument. Yeah. And I love this idea, too, that you said about a decentralized currency, because here's the thing. It's not decentralized. No. It's not. It's all centralized, because you, you can't just trade them. There's exchanges they go through. What are those? But centralized. It's yep. the same fucking thing as the stock market or a bank. And except the money isn't real. There's not backed by any state or government. It's backed by your imagination and yeah. child pornography, basically. And even now, like I like <clears throat> even now there's pushes by like big banks to get in on crypto. And at that point, you can make no argument that this is decentralized. Like before that, you could draw me up a diagram with the blockchain and explain why it's so secure, and I'll be like, okay, whatever, I don't want to talk to you. But as soon as the banks get involved, you, you can't make that claim anymore. Not only does it affect the entire purpose of cryptocurrency, but the fact that they are jumping in on this, the central banks want to get in on, on cryptocurrency, should tell you something about what it is doing, and also yeah. scare you if you care about the environment at all. Did you see that a fucking truck full of GPUs was stolen in California by armed robbers? I thought you were going to say that a truck full of NFTs was stolen. Oh, yeah. They had but one. yeah, no, I saw the GPU. Because it's real. These GPU heists are real. I mean, yeah. at, even at retail stores, people are like getting trampled and stuff's get like mass stock is getting stolen, like at loading bays and stuff. And yeah, it's ridiculous. And all the graphics card companies keep saying they're going to come up with some way to make it so you can't mine crypto with them. And that hasn't happened yet. <laughs> so And well, a- ship AMG? shortages are on a... Our chip shortages are crazy right now, so yeah. even if they do that, it's going to be so long before the market ever gets back to normal, if ever. Well, AMD has the tech to keep it from being used for crypto, but they just they just keep not doing it. Like They know they can, but they're not, because they obviously want to sell more fucking cards. Yeah, that is true. It is uh, good for business and bad for the environment, like almost everything that's good for business. Yeah, you're not wrong. But and yeah. it, it just feels like... I don't know, man. It feels like this is a, this is the tulip mania. This is the tulip bulb mania the Dutch went through 400 years ago, happening again to us today. And all the signs are there, but no one gives a shit. I don't know what madness has overtaken the world, but people have lost their fucking minds. All right, educate me on the the tulip uh, massacre. 
the tulip bulb crisis. It was yeah. one of the first examples of a of a of a, a bubble uh, bursting in economics. People went crazy. Tulip mania. You know, tulips tulip come from bulbs, right? The plant yeah. that you plant on the ground, the tulip grows. People started to like almost like Pokemon cards collecting tulip bulbs, and they bought them so much and so so vigorously, the market couldn't keep up. People were investing in tulip bulbs and buying tulip bulbs for cra- crazy inflated prices, kind of like Beanie Babies almost, thinking that one day this tulip bulb of a certain species would be very valuable or whatever. But then it turned out that it was all just nothing. It was a crazy, just it was insanity. And then the market fell apart because there was nobody to buy the shit anymore. All the investors were out the window, and, and people like lost their entire goddamn livelihoods and because of this, like regular people were in the streets, like on the fucking the floor of the stock market today, shouting with pieces of paper like, "I want this many tulip bulbs." I'm like, "What happened to you?" Yeah, that had there had to be some kind of like like mania. Like what? What? What happened, everyone? It was a gas yeah, I'm, leak. I'm getting that way with NFTs. I'm like every single day. I'm seeing like, oh, we now do NFTs. We now do NFTs. And I'm like, you, you're seriously talking about JPEGs, right? Like I'm yeah. not crazy. I'm not. It's not like NFTs are something else that I don't understand. They're just huh. images. I mean, I guess they can be like gifts and stuff too. So they can move, but still, they're just like. And once again, and the the whole thing we talk about is you can just right click and save ads which you can yeah but people are like oh you don't even understand you think you can just right click and save it you think that means anything i'm like it means that i have the image if i ever would want it like i don't know what i would what else i would ever need it for it's like again if i want to see a picture of the mona lisa i can google it and look at it anytime just like your nft if you posted it somewhere i can find it and look at it and i don't know what that does how that devalues it for you but i can look at your picture who gives a shit and recently to finally nail the coffin in video games they've <laughs> people have said that nfts and blockchain is gonna be like this future of video games not a lot of details as to what that actually means there was one man who thought that you'd be able to buy Mario in Mario Kart and then sell him after you. Which, by the way, I wanted to tackle this for a second. You read that tweet, right, where the guy was like, you, you would own Mario and he'd have the fastest, best car so you'd win all the races. Which, yeah. this person has never played a video game if they think that's what Mario Kart is like. But right. let's follow their logic for a second. Mm-hmm. Let's say that Nintendo releases a Mario Kart game and they're like, mm-hmm. okay, all the racers and NFTs, you can buy them. But if I'm understanding NFTs right, the reason you want to buy it is because you like it's yours at that point. So Mario, mm-hmm. only one person in the world would have Mario. Right. So if that were true, how much do you think Mario would go for? It would be, I mean... An the, ungodly number, yeah. probably, right? I mean, the oil princes alone would have it at millions, mil- tens of millions of dollars. So this tweet is saying that, like... Once again, if we're following their logic, there would be mm-hmm. so few people who would ever actually be able to buy Mario in this world that what would it what would it even matter that you could? You know? Seth, you already you already know Elon Musk would buy Mario. Yeah, he would. And then he'd fucking And he would have Chris Pratt shake his hand while showing a picture of the Mario he owns now. Yeah, oh my fucking god. But yeah, that's exa- that is one hundred percent what would happen. Um yeah. and it would be disastrous. Um, and yeah, I, so the whole NFT gaming thing, I don't, it's once again, I'm like, explain to me what an NFT is going to help me do in a video game. Cause I mentioned well, folks, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say, I mentioned a couple weeks ago, there was that like NFT game where like each one of the characters you would like buy and you'd like have this little world. 
I would never play that game, but it makes sense as why mm-hmm. NFT would would work there. But the video, types of video games I play, I don't see what I would get out of it. Right. Well, some people have pointed out that EA and Square Enix are two of the big companies that said this, um, is that these companies probably aren't actually going to follow through what they said. It's probably for the investors. It's probably, yeah, we got We got guys working on NFTs and blockchain. Those big, those, those words you've heard that everyone's going crazy about, give us more money to work on that. And they'll never do it, which is what I hope happens. But Seth, we do live in the dumbest possible timeline. So EA, especially as a company, I could definitely see trying to go hard on this. Yeah. And as much as I hate to say it, freaking Reddit is changing its karma system into tokens that are built off of the Ethereum blockchain. And man, have I never... I mean, today was the first time in my entire life I've considered never using Reddit ever again. (laughs) Ever since I started using it. I have to ask, what is the point of this? What What problem does this solve for Reddit? Nothing. Because, like, first of all, if you're a person like me, the karma system means nothing. Right. I don't understand it. I don't understand why people want it so bad. You can give it away or something. Um, but I don't understand what problem it's solving. I know what problem it's going to create, though. Um, they People have already found out that apparently now your amount of karma will like actually uh, be tied to your value on the website. So when there's like like polls and stuff, your vote will count more in a poll if you have more karma and more on this Ethereum blockchain. Wow. So, and I, I don't understand, like, did, did the guys who make Reddit just wake up and say, we want everyone to hate us today? I, I just don't, I really don't understand what they're getting out of this. The karma system is already not for most people who use Reddit. There's some people who make a big deal about it, but most people just kind of lurk on Reddit. The most, most people don't even ever make a post in their entire life on Reddit. Oh yeah, as it should um, be. So, well, then there'd be no posts. <laughs> It would just be a blank website. I'm saying um, most people should lurk. Well, most yeah, that's true. Lurk. So, like, I don't even understand why hiring a bunch of crypto uh, developers, which, man, I wish I could just... I'm just going to put that on my LinkedIn and see if I get offers. I mean, I, yeah. I'll do it. Uh, Seth, I you would probably but, get so many offers. Holy yeah. shit. <laughs> it's, true. it's crazy out there right now. But, um, but, yeah, I don't understand what they're getting out of this, why they're making this random investment into Ethereum, blockchain. I don't... I don't know. I, it's one of those things where, like, at least these places that are, like, trying to sell NFTs and, like, make make crypto markets, I understand that, like, oh, they're trying to make money. They're trying to, like, mm-hmm. get a, pull a fast one over on a bunch of rubes. I don't get what this one is. It just seems like a really weird and expensive change for no reason. Yeah, I don't understand how the Reddit, like, the gold or whatever system works. Some I don't give a weird shit about that either. Their name. I don't yeah. know what it even means. I always read posts, all right? And listen, listen here, buddy. If you're out there listening and you're out now to talk and you post on the internet, there's only one number that matters when it comes to posting, and it's your, it's your post count. And we stopped using that years ago because they were afraid of our power to show how many posts we actually had. And they think, because you know, back then, the more posts you had, the more, the more authority you had. And that's how it should be. You post more, you mean more. That's all that matters, okay? Bring back post counts and get rid of everything else. Fun fact, I was going to go through the, the Twitter chain um, or the the chain of all the stuff that guy posted about the Reddit crypto thing. He yeah. has deleted that tweet. <laughs> Smart move. Um, yeah. 
I, but I just don't, I don't understand what, I don't understand what problem cryptocurrency solves other than how can I buy child pornography and drugs yeah. without the, the government knowing about it. It's like, how, they're going to know pretty soon. <laughs> the whole question now is like, how can I be the most annoying person in the room? <laughs> so I can just talk about our crypto stuff all the time. Like that's like us with Dune or whatever or, or or something, but but instead of us just all we did was buy the book Dune and read it and go see the movie. That's that's our entire investment into the Dune Duneiverse. Yeah. And now I'm not buying. I'm not paying thousands of dollars for a picture of fucking you know Paul Atreides. You know that's my picture of Paul Atreides. Yeah. Okay, I'd kind of be in on that actually. Might, might be the one. <laughs> might be the one that I buy. Did you, I said on this word. Do you see the, the the waifu one? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is the thing is I didn't realize. I used to think the NFTs were like custom made. They're not. They're made by algorithms now. Like a computer just draws an image instead of a person. Yeah. So you can. I mean, there's, there's different types, but yeah, some of them are well, just yeah. completely randomly generated, basically. So when you buy a waifu from Waifu Corner, if like it was called, you get a randomly generated one that you don't know what it'll look like. And apparently it started off where it comes with clothes, but at a certain date, the clothes will come off of the waifu picture and you will get a, a nude one. And I just, I don't know, man. I feel like, I feel like our civilization has hit a real low point these days. Yeah. Shit doesn't make sense anymore. I got, I got. I just got no fucking clue what's going on. Sometimes I think about the fact that I think about things like, I don't know, building the interstate or uh, the transcontinental railroad or going to space, going to the moon. And I'm like, what are we doing today? We're buying pictures of of monkeys made by a computer and and claiming that has value. You know, I don't understand it. (sighs) Yeah. And it's just, and like you said, it's just, I just feel like, Am I the only one in the room who doesn't care, or it just doesn't make any sense to? Am I the one person in the room who's actively saying this is bad for the environment? This using electricity that we don't need to use—it's extraneous use of electricity. There's no reason for it. Yeah, you know, well, it's less than automobiles, dude. So I'm not sure why you're so upset. For now, <laughs> yes. I there mean, was yeah, there was like of, one crypto farm that was like using more energy than Peru, <laughs> like the whole right, po- yeah. the whole country. There was a time when automobiles didn't use as much oil as they do now, and look what's happening now. It's things things fucking change, and it seems yeah. like this isn't going away. It's getting worse, is what it is. But remember, we talked about how before if we if we just made cars lighter and less safe, we would be <laughs> we would be saving so much money on gas. Exactly. Make them out of tinfoil again and just turn us loose. Yes. We'll figure it out. The population problem will solve itself. Honestly, make all cars into dune buggies. <laughs> I saw someone driving an actual, like, souped up dune buggy at McDonald's drive through the other day. Oh, yeah? You know, that was their whole car. I've seen a lot of golf carts on the road, and that, to me, is a sign of the impending apocalypse, <laughs> is that... I imagine these folks don't have enough money to run an actual vehicle, so they get a they get a golf cart, and it's like, man, things are going downhill if you can't afford a car anymore, you know? Yeah, cars, rent, food, it's all... And then there's the freaking supply chain problems that are going on right now that, you know, we're seeing slow um, lead-ups to a bigger issue with. Oh, yeah, so I gotta say, sadly, the supply chain issues have finally hit home. I have finally been affected... 
please pray for me, everybody. Send me some of your positive energy because I have been hit by the supply chain uh, uh, problems. I will not this Friday be receiving my copy of Shin Megami Tensei Five. Uh, it has been delayed to an unknown date when it'll get here. So you can't just get it digitally. I want the Steelbook uh, special edition. So I, uh, I, uh, I'm gonna have to wait for my copy to get here. Sadly, wow. so. Everyone out there, send me your energy. I want to need it to to get through my Shin Megami Tensei's life. I just bought a I just bought a crap load of Criterion Collection Blu-rays from Barnes mm-hmm. and Noble. I hope the supply chain doesn't fuck me there because <laughs> I gotta have these things. Gotta have them, man. More more plastic and glass crap to fill our fill the emptiness in our lives. Exactly to make me happy. Okay. <laughs> I you know what I was thinking about the other day, Seth. I was thinking about the show Chernobyl mm-hmm. because someone posted the scene where the, the 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 woman scientist goes to talk to the the guy in charge of Minsk, and remember she makes that point about how he's working a shoe factory and mm-hmm. he, she has it's 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 pure liberal contempt for the working class is all it is. It's, it's just yeah. it's just workers suck. But Craig Mazin, the guy who wrote the fucking show, says that that show is supposed to be a critique of capitalism and its response to climate change and how Chernobyl is just his way of of being a metaphor basically for climate change. Cuz mm-hmm. cuz Jared Harris's whole point at the end of the at the end of the show is like secrets aren't doing anybody any good and we have the information we're not acting on it and this is a problem. And no one got that message from the show. That is not the message anyone took away. Everyone thought, oh, communists suck and the Soviet Union was bad. Yeah. But you know what's really crazy, Seth? You know what's really insane to me? Remember the part of that show where that Soviet soldier has to go shoot dogs and he slowly gets, you know, numb to it. And by the end of the episode, he's just an expert dog killer. Mm -hmm. And it's portrayed as this horrible thing. But just for a moment. Come with me on this thought experiment where, let's say in America, one of our nuclear plants explodes and we have a meltdown uh, reactor exposure and it's it's bad as Chernobyl, right? And we have to then deal with the problems of a Chernobyl-like event. Either one of the things is going to happen with with the radioactive dogs. Either it'll be too expensive to deal with radioactive dogs, so no one will, and we'll just have nuke dogs running around spreading radiation. Or 13 different gig companies will spring up overnight competing for dog bounties, you know, to, yes. to kill the, the, to collect dog ears. Yeah. You got a QR code to scan them or something. I don't know how. It and works. each, each kill contract is an NFT. Oh my God. That's America though. The Soviets mobilized thousands of people and contained the worst nuclear incident uh, in history and, and did it well enough that today we're not seeing any effects from it. Can you imagine the United States government trying to do anything nearly on that scale? Yeah. I mean, I definitely agree that that show is about the absolute inefficiency of capitalism. Right. Because the, 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 the Soviet stuff is all just a metaphor. And I agree. When you watch it in that light, you see what he's talking about. But I don't think that most viewers got that. I don't think that's what your average watcher took away. Yeah, I've realized that people just get the most random ideas and they watch stuff like I, i'm over here like i'm pretty sure i know what this person's trying to say and people mm. can just i mean with dune people get dune as good as him people just pull out the most random stuff as to what, what the movie's actually about i'm like or yeah. even the book i'm just like i don't know where where people how how it works for some people i gotta say i was reading a blog post about um neo-nazis who love dune they, they think it's a, a, a great book and an example of how a white revolutionary lived their life. 
and they're like they they admire the the uh, real life Muslims and think that the white Christians should emulate Islam and its devotion to to a jihad. I guess this is all stupid, but I'm like you guys. How did you get that from the book? Paul is not the good guy. You're not supposed to to, to be like, oh, this guy's red. Like, what's going on, man? Yeah, I mean, it's like what that show uh, Midnight Mass is about. You know, it's yeah. like if you really if you really want to, you can make the Bible a justification for turning an entire group of people into vampires. True. You know, very true. So yeah, I just think that people people it's not the fault of the author. Obviously, people can take away their own message from anything. Uh, but I do feel, I just feel like sometimes I look at things and I'm like, how did you get that message from that? It's like if you watched Starship Troopers and came away, if I think the military is great, I'm like, how fucking Which people have. Are you? <laughs> True. Very, very common misconception about that movie is that everything rocks. <laughs> Good time, happy stuff. I mean, even as a kid, I was like, oh, the bugs and all that is, the killing of the bugs is neat. But I never thought for a moment that the military were like, cool dudes. I mean, like, hell yeah. When New Magic Harris comes out of the end in full <laughs> Nazi regalia, I mean, at that point, you have to get it. Like, Just straight up Hugo Boss, black leather. It's it's what it is. It's, it's a Nazi SS uniform. And you're like, wow, this is happening. <laughs> Yeah, um, it wasn't until I read the book actually, Star Troopers, I understood when I when I because I, I, I saw the movie first, and I read the book later, and I was like, wait, where's all the power armor in the movie? What's what's where, why is this in the movie? And I realized, oh, right, because then I read more about, about about Heinlein, and I was like, oh, that's what's going on here. Gotcha. Yeah. I understand now. Although you know, so speaking of uh, of uh, movies and foreign film. Yeah. You and I watched a foreign film recently that was very interesting. We did. And you were the one that brought it that brought it to my attention. We watched a really, really good movie named Titan. Um, it's from this year. Um, I really can't say the director's name correctly, but her name is like Julia Ducaro. I'm just gonna yeah, guess on that one. Um, you may have seen a movie of hers that is very popular on Netflix called Raw about some Campbell stuff. And she takes everything in my opinion, she takes everything from Raw and dials it up a lot. Not only yeah. some of the body horror stuff, but also the level of filmmaking. I mean, we, we, we talked about this a little bit yesterday privately, but the, the, the craziest thing about the movie is that even though it does have this really, really strange plot, that you, it will, if you don't like read any synopsis, you will be, even if you actually, even if you read the synopsis, it will surprise <laughs> you because yeah. they do a real bait and switch with it. But even if you took out all of the like genre stuff, it's an incredibly well-made movie. Yeah, fantastic on all accounts um, from just like objective like filmmaking stuff, like the camera work, the the pacing. I mean, the movie is like a tight hour and forty, mm-hmm. and it's insane how much stuff they fit into that hour forty. You know what I, I keep saying to people when I recommend it to them now is it's 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 like. It's two horror movies that T-bone an intersection. Like, you're watching a movie on this course, and a second one just smashes into it at full speed. And the result is pretty great. I loved it. It was a fantastic film. Yeah. And I was on, I was, I was pacing while I was watching it. I was walking around my room, because there are some times that are really stressful. And there was one time when it, one specific scene turned my stomach upside down. I had to go take a massive shit after 
because I had just eaten. And then it, that scene happened, my stomach turned, and I had to run out of the room to use the bathroom because it was just that intense. So, yeah. Um, but, yeah, fantastic. And I didn't realize, you told me this, was that the, the lead actress, it was like her first movie. And yeah, first film. It's a, a weird one to start your career on, but damn, she she did a really good job. Yeah, I, I you... I, I went in not knowing a single thing about the movie. Didn't watch the trailer. Didn't read a synopsis except for the one on uh, the the site that was uh, a troll, a complete yep. troll of me. And I was incredibly pleasantly surprised. Loved that film from start to finish. It was so tense. It built so well to the ending. And incredible performances, by the way. Great. Just not just the main actress, but every actor was really giving it their all in this yeah. film. I mean, just doing some really like. I don't know, just acting you don't get to see very often, I would say. Like, yeah. Just really, really interesting and like eclectic performances. And I gotta say, this I say this all the time, and it should be noted you gotta love the French. You gotta love the French in their films because they'll yeah, do shit do. in their movies that Americans would never do in our films. <laughs> they don't and it's like a fuck. regular regular day at the office for them. It's not even like, oh, we're gonna do something crazy. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, isn't it interesting, yeah, by the way, when you watch a, like a French movie or a, or a European film, uh, how there's like 10 fucking companies and, and several governments that gave money to this thing and didn't get happen. But in America, it's like, yeah, New Line Cinema made this. Yeah. Warner Brothers made this movie. It feels like their movies have a bit more uh, authenticity because they have to like grab money from everybody they can to make them, you know, rather than one company fronting the entire bill for it. Yeah, that's true. There's, yeah, there's, there's a lot of things that I think just, it's very interesting to me how different cinema is everywhere. Um, Mm -hmm. The the, the language of cinema especially is, um, is just very, very like wildly different. Like I just recently watched Squid Game and it was making me think about a lot of the Korean movies that I've seen and like, you know, I mean, obviously big examples, like stuff like Parasite. But then I was thinking about today, I was thinking about the good, the bad and the weird. Do you remember that movie? I think that was the first Korean movie I ever watched in my life, mm-hmm. and it's it's just so interesting how they their interpret because it it's supposed to be their interpretation of an American Western, right. and it's just so it's so different how how they how they interpret it. It's just so cool. Now I will say this: uh, I think you got you wrong. I think you actually your first Korean film was The Host because we watched that. That's true. Way, That's actually way true. early. Yeah, yeah I think you yeah. watched The Host actually, together. Actually, the thing about The Host is I watched it so long ago. I honestly don't remember it at all. I need, I, that's one of those movies I'm, I'm going to rewatch pretty soon because I really just don't remember that much about it. I yeah. remember the main plot, obviously, but I, don't, I can't really pick out the scenes in my head. The gimmick of that movie I loved, which was, the op- let's do the opposite of Jaws. We show the monster, and we show it a lot, and soon, and we, we yeah. don't mess around. So that was a uh, very, uh, yeah, I think Korean cinema is really having a renaissance, not a renaissance, what else, what else I say? It's it. Really, this is its what is it? First Azants. It's like on the worldwide stage. Like we're getting some exposure now. Finally, yeah. It's one of those things um, where Korean South Korea has just always made pretty good movies, and now all of a sudden we're just all paying attention to it. Um, well, the reason for that is that Netflix has yeah. really gone in hard on on Korea because they want to avoid the American unions and this this IATSE strike and things that where they knew were coming down the pipeline. So let's go to Asia where they don't have these unions to deal with. They have their own unions and stuff that they have to mess with, but they're not—they're not like the American ones. They—they're—they're they're more eager to work with Netflix, I guess. Yeah. Um, so we're getting this influx of Korean stuff. But yeah, there's tons of. I have my my watch list is full of Korean movies I haven't seen um, just yet because 
I'm pretty interested in the stuff they make. And I was actually just looking at the director of The Good, The Bad, and The Weird, and I did not realize he also made I Saw the Devil. Really? Wow. And both those movies absolutely rule. That's a great thriller film, by the way, if anyone hasn't seen it. I love I Saw the Devil. Yeah. It's one of those movies that I really hope America never tries to remake for some reason, because I feel like we just get it wrong. Why do we try and do that? Because we got we got old boy wrong, and we get yeah. we get lots of stuff wrong, and it's just like, I, why? What do we get right? The Departed. Yeah, and that's just and that's like a loose interpretation, and it, you know, I don't know. It's weird. It's weird. And the thing is, the funniest thing to me is that other countries don't really try and remake our movies. They've done. Uh-uh. They do their interpretations like Good, the Bad, and the Weird. It's not. It's not a remake of The Good, The Mad, The Ugly. It's kind of an homage to like the American style of westerns. But yeah, it's not like, not like South Korea is trying to make uh, Love Actually or anything, you know? Well, the thing about The Good, The Mad, and The Weird is that it, it sets it in Manchuria during the Japanese occupation, which is a fanta- absolutely fantastic setting to explore. Yeah. Um, a place you never hear about, a time you never hear about, you know, a period, but it's exactly like the Old West. Because it just takes the, the, the Civil War and, and replaces it with basically World War II. And it, it's very interesting. And I, I love that movie, and I should rewatch it. At some I gotta point. rewatch that one. I gotta, I gotta pull it up. That was a good one. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, I, I actually, after finding out that The Departed was a re, was a, our version of, of Infernal Affairs, I watched the first Infernal Affairs movie. And I think the reason The Departed succeeds is that it's, it, like you said, a very loose interpretation. It takes the basic ideas of that movie and, and runs into an American lens. Yeah. And that's why it succeeds. You try And, and that movie is built more. to be like a three-part you know, series, like a trilogy. Yeah. Um, whereas The Departed was just supposed to be the one-off, like, oh, here's, here's the idea, let's just make this movie. Which I think is another reason that it, it kind of works. We didn't try and just copy it one-to-one that way. But also, it's yeah. made by Martin Scorsese, who is the top five best filmmakers in American history, probably. Yeah, so it's kind of a kind of a, a shoe in, I guess, for being good. Yeah, you you got you got to respect that. Um, so yeah, I just I just think that I, I I'm curious about about because I've watched now through you, I've watched uh, a, a Bollywood film, which yep. was. A very different, uh, great movie. Yeah. But man, the energy and the filmmaking is so different from American. Very different. I've watched several Bollywood movies at this point, and it is very their their interpretation of the cinematic language is just so different. And I'm not. Some people judge it. I'm not saying it's good or bad. I mean, it's good. I'm glad they make movies. I'm glad they have their own style. But it is. It's really interesting just how different everything's interpreted there. Yeah. Um. The same thing with French films, and the same thing with, I mean, almost any country I've ever watched a film from, they just, they just have their own little touches that is just so different, and it's it's cool. Like we, like our our favorite British cinema, very different from American cinema, our <laughs> own take on things and the British tradition. Yeah, well, in those movies, they always have to talk about the Queen for at least twenty minutes. <laughs> do do you count like Inception as a British film? No. Because the, the director is British, so I don't know. Do we count that? You think Christopher Nolan's British? Isn't he? No. He's not? No. What is he then? He's Maybe? American. Australian? He's a, Google he it is, right now. Okay. He is a British American. Ha <laughs> <laughs> What? What? But I our, know a Brit. I can smell him. But I know that all of his, his movies 
are all are all American movies. Right. Yeah. Of course. And it was one of the reasons. Which now now I realize this was just spite. So Christopher Nolan has apparently always wanted to direct a James Bond movie. Right. It's yeah. been like his whole thing. But the Broccoli family, and you do not believe me when I first told you this, but the Broccoli family are the people who own the rights to James Bond. That's insane, it's but okay. absolutely true. They said they didn't want Christopher Nolan to direct it because they didn't want an American filmmaker, because I guess they considered an American filmmaker, to make a James Bond movie. But with no time to die, they gave it to Carrie Joji Fukunawa, who was an American mm. filmmaker. So I think they just hate Christopher Nolan. <laughs> That's what it is, yeah. He tr- well, the thing is, he tried too hard. You, 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 got, you can't try too hard, man. Yeah. They don't like that. The Broccoli family. It's insane. If, and, and the thing is, you, you I never noticed it until someone told me. But if you watch watch a James Bond movie right now, they all say Richard Broccoli and, and family present. Uh, every single one of them say that. That is so... I just, my brain must delete the word Broccoli from a James Bond movie. Can you imagine if James Bond said the word Broccoli out loud? Yeah. Imagine his name was James Broccoli instead of James Bond. <laughs> James Broccoli. <laughs> broccoli. James Broccoli. <laughs> oh, fuck me. Fucking the Broccoli. Pay, but that, who, that's not who wrote James Bond, though, right? Like, who? what was the name of the guy who wrote James no, Bond? It was I can't fucking, remember the name of the original author. It's not Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, whose name I keep thinking of, but it's definitely not him. That was Sherlock Holmes, I believe. I can't yeah, think of the guy who one. fucking... What's his this? name? I'm be, Ian so Fleming. Bad. Ian Fleming, that's right. Yeah, 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 yep. yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah. His name is before all of them, too, but I, get, but I, I believe the movie rights are owned by the Broccoli family. Did and the Broccoli family buy Ian Fleming? What happened? I don't know. I'm s- I gotta I gotta research this. It's I was, like I was just saying, I've been rewatching. Sorry. I've been rewatching the show Thirty Rock, and there's uh-huh. a joke where they, you know, the Tracy Jordan character. He's like super rich or whatever, and he has yep. he has everything he wants. And his, his assistant was like, "We can't buy you gifts. You have everything you want." Last week, you bought Kareem Abdul Jabbar's bones, and he's not even dead yet. <laughs> Maybe that's what the Broccoli family did. They were like, even if you before you're dead, you're ours. It's like, it's like we found out one day that like I don't know, like Transformers was owned by the Rutabaga family. You'd be like, what the <laughs> fuck, the Rutabaga? And you like you watched all the Transformers movies and it says the Rutabaga family before yeah. it, and there's billboards yeah. for the Rutabaga family in all the backgrounds. <laughs> You'd be like, what? What happened to my? Bro- this is the Mandela effect. This is the Mandela effect happening to me right now. I, I'm my brain has been has been deceived by the universe. I can't. I, this is wild. Fucking broccoli family. Jonathan Broccoli, his his loving wife Eunice Broccoli, their their child Archie Broccoli. In June of 1961, Ian Fleming sold a six-month option on the film rights to be to the published and future James Bond novels and short stories to Harry Saltzman. Saltzman formed the production vehicle Eon Productions alongside Albert R. Cubby Broccoli. Cubby, it's amazing! It gets better! It, it only gets better, it seems. Click on Broccoli. He's British, isn't he? Dude. <laughs> He's from New York City. God damn! What? He he was he was born in New York City, died in Beverly Hills, California. So not British at all. No, 
Not even a little bit. But I guess his business partners were. Maybe maybe some of his family was. I don't know. And they kept the broad... I'm just wondering if he had, like, cousins back in the old country, back in England, who, like, muscled in and took over James Bond from him once he was dead. This has got to be a story. Barbara Broccoli is the one that's still alive. I believe that's his daughter. Barbara Broccoli? Yeah, I know. I believe that's his daughter, I think. Or maybe his his, his former wife. I have no idea. Because she's still... The other Broccoli guy died, but she's still alive. And she's... She's picture... Her... Wikipedia picture is her with Daniel Craig at, a, at the Spectre uh-huh. premiere. What's her teeth look like? So her mouth is really closed British? in this picture. So <laughs> yeah. my name is I'm her son, Bo Broccoli. Yeah. <laughs> the alliteration. I'm Bo Broccoli, you. and this is Jackass. <laughs> <laughs> the alliteration is what makes it though. I like a superhero yeah. named Barbara Broccoli, the secret vegetarian superhero, or some shit. Sometimes the universe is just too fun. It's this you could this is funnier than fucking TV, basically. Yes. Oh my god. So yeah, oh. that's uh that's really fun. I real life, that. man. Oh, speaking of real life being funnier than television, I think yesterday was the one year anniversary of the four seasons event. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which like that's just when the the guys who made V for like, we got it all wrong. We gotta go back to the drawing board. The guys who made V were like, we had too high of expectations. Yeah. We painted them to be too smart. Right. Good God. I just don't, I don't understand how we get to that, to this point, you know? Yeah. I did see someone, I did see someone asking, you know, how is V, like, what, what does it rank on in terms of, you know, being a liberal show? And I think that it's not a leftist show, really. But at the same time, it doesn't. It's just like, it, it's... Some folks say it's the most accurate political show. And I think that, ideologically, yes. But mm-hmm. I refuse to believe that anyone in politics is that funny. I think that the, the, the attitudes are correct. But the yeah. being funny is not a thing they do. I don't the think. thing that Veep gets right is that politics, especially once you're inside the White House and the Senate, is nihilism. No right. one is there... Even the Republicans and Democrats, none of them are there to actually achieve anything. They're all there to just be powerful and to get what they quote-unquote want so they can just get votes. There is no... No one has any morals on that show. And it's yeah. it's one of the things that you can watch a show and you can enjoy the jokes. But once you think about the characters and their interactions and how they view the world, you're like, oh, so no one actually gives a shit. And we're just right. kind of, we just have to kind of watch and be and get fucked. Okay. In that sense, yeah, I think it's probably it's the most accurate political show ever made. Um, yeah, because it's just people trying to amass power, but they only want the power so they can be powerful. They don't right. want to do anything with that power. They just want to be the one that has the power. It's like every single person in that show just wants a promotion to the next highest position. Yeah. And they don't care about anything but that. The only difference is there are some characters who have found their niche. And they're like, I live here and this is what I do. And I've, this is, I've made my plateau. But the second anyone of those people offered the chance to get higher, they will leap at it in a heartbeat. Yep. I keep thinking yep, of what's, yep. uh, what's the guy's name in the show, the the short guy, the or the balding guy who abuses his assistant constantly. He's a fucking congressman, I believe. Oh my uh, god, I can't remember his fucking name. But you know who I'm, you know what I'm talking about, right? Yes, he's the best. And the, 
for most of the show, he's sitting there just like, this is my job. I do this. I'm a congressman. This is my position. And I've, I'm leveraging it as far as I can. But there's a moment where he's, he, he has the chance to be Selena's uh, vice president. And he fucking leaps at it, even though he hates her and thinks it's all bullshit. Roger Furlong. Yes, that's him. Fantastic role, great character, love that dude. Hilarious, hilarious performance. Yeah. But he's the same way. And Richard Split is <laughs> the one guy who yes. keeps sort of like succeeding upwards but doesn't ever want it in a way. Like it just happens to him around him. Yeah. And he's attached to Jonah Ryan. Oh my god, we could talk about Veep for hours. That, we that, show, is, that show is hilarious. I gotta do We should do a Veep episode at some point. We should, Veep episode. The episode is great. That's that's a good show. Everyone should watch that. That's that because it is the most accurate political show of all time, for sure. Yeah. Except for that one scene in the West Wing where that lady <laughs> sings that song, The Jackal. That's the only time that any show has been more politically accurate. What's funny though is that the West Wing can be very accurate at times, but it's not flattering to itself. Like that one time when that dude Toby fucking whatever his name is is outside talking to that the cop, and he's like, "All these hippies and shit—they don't understand anything about world trade. I'm the one who goes around and makes the world the way it is." They do think about themselves that way. They believe that about themselves. They really do. Yeah. And and it's but it's not flattering, right? Like it's the, the show plays it no, straight, but in real look. life. No. And when he also like tried to big dick that senator saying that if you run the left of us will destroy you or whatever, they do that shit. That happened to Bernie Sanders. Actually, yeah, I had a I had a fucking bone to pick with Aaron Sorkin real quick. Okay. First of all, Aaron Sorkin is a honestly incredibly overrated writer in mm-hmm. every attempt. And the West Wing is a good example of everything he does incorrectly as a writer. And then the newsroom is like, I'm really gonna show you how bad I am at writing. Um but the one thing Aaron Sorkin has written that is infallible, in my opinion, and is really good, is The Social Network. Mm-hmm. Because the thing about The Social Network is that movie came out in, like, 2010, before anybody actually hated Mark Zuckerberg. We just kind of knew he was the guy in front of Facebook. And the movie right. was like, he's an asshole, by the way. And in the future, he's going to be an asshole. And he's always going to be an asshole. And you should know this now in 2010. Please listen to me. Um, but no one did. And I've always respected the movie for that reason. I was like, Aaron Sorkin actually wrote something very, very smart and with a lot of forethought. Mm-hmm. But then, just a couple weeks ago, I watched his acceptance speech at the Oscars when he won for Best Screenplay, The Social Network. And he mm-hmm. starts off the speech by being like, um, I know in the movie we we make a lot of predictions about Mark Zuckerberg and how he's like a, he's going to be a bad person and all this. And I got to say, I'm glad that I'm wrong. He's an, incredi- he's an incredibly upstanding gentleman and you're really going to make the world a better place and all this. And I'm like, wow. You threw away the only good thing you've ever done to dick ride Mark Zuckerberg. Right, yeah. And I was like, what? what is even the... Because re- the best part of the social... The best scene in the social network is the first two minutes when Rooney Mara is like, by the way, you're a piece of shit and I hate you and I don't care mm-hmm. if you're ever going to be some successful person because you're still going to be an empty man. And I'm right. like, that is great. And then he just throws it all out the window. I'm like, oh, yeah. okay, well, cool. So I guess you've never done anything good in your life? There is one, I think, <clears throat> you like you like The Social Network. I think it's a great movie. Yeah. But there is one scene in Aaron Sorkin's history where he did actually, for once, say something real. And he spoke okay. truth to power. And it is a scene from the newsroom. Uh, it is a scene where they have the guy who played Toby on The Office. Yes, come talk out about there all to, the, Yeah, yeah. 
as an EPA uh, official to come and talk about climate change. And he is like, we are fucked. And the, 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 the host is like, well, what can we do? And he's like, you can't do anything. You are fucked. 20 years ago, 30 years ago, maybe. Today, there is no solution. And, and there is no point in the episode where anyone comes back at him and is like, actually, we'll just do this. We'll fucking build solar panels and all this kind of shit and wind power, and this will solve the problem. It, he, just, he, just, he, he leaves, and that ends the discussion. And I'm like, that's the only time in, in media anyone has ever accurately said, like, we fucked the world up. And there is no way to fix it. Yeah. And no one no one comes back with their we got a solution. It's just like that's great. That's that's I'll give them credit. That's that's one very raw and real scene of television in a fucking piece of shit show otherwise. Yeah, it was so bad. I was I rewatched the scene when they are on the plane talking about Osama bin Laden getting killed. And they were like, We delivered the news, baby. And I was like, Somebody wrote this and these actors all went along with it. You know happened when I watched that scene, Seth? It killed my libido. I yeah. could not get horny for a week because all I could see was that smug little fucker's face saying, "We we delivered the news." That I'm sorry, I I do I cannot look at that actor. There's something about that guy I can't fucking deal with it. I think it's mostly because every clip from the newsroom that's fucking terrible, <laughs> he's at the forefront of. There's that scene where he tells that girl who was Selena Meyer's daughter on Veep that she shouldn't report her rapist because what if an innocent man gets caught up in all this at one point? And, and I'm he's like, the good guy in that scene. Yes! I was like, I want to strangle you through the fucking television. I know you're an actor. You're just doing your job. It's like the people that beat up the guy that played Ramsey Bolton on Game of Thrones because he was such a bad dude on that yeah. show. I, but I felt it for a second. I was like, you fucker. Aaron Sorkin, I think, sucks. Like, he is, yeah. like you said, just the most overrated piece of shit in, in Hollywood at this point. Yeah, I don't I don't dig his dialogue. I didn't even watch Trial of Chicago 7 because he wrote it. And I'm like, I don't think this is going to be a movie for me. So, next. It has characters who are hardcore anarchists in real life say that they, they believe in the Democratic Party. Like, yeah. fuck you. All right? No way. Those folks, those folks fucking believed in something and you shit on it you know Aaron Sorkin I can't think I can't think of a guy right now there probably is somebody out there who is more overhyped for nothing in Hollywood but goddamn, if right now all I can think of is how just a, a motherfucker this dude is yep undeserved success is what he has well that was a, well, a little bit of politics in there <laughs> yeah yeah we're talking about Veep that's politics that is true. That is politics. There we go. It's all politics, baby. Um, Everything's political. Well, let's wrap it up, Seth. Let's talk about yeah. what do you what have you been doing? Anything interesting? So I watched the new Wes Anderson movie, The French Dispatch, and I can Ooh. say with all honesty that it is the best movie of 2021 so far. So it was Malignant, and then it became Malig- Dune. Now Malignant it was, was my number. Malignant was my number one, and Dune uh-huh. did not take it down. Oh, I loved. I really, really love Malignant. I, obviously, I okay. love Dune, but I think Malignant has a special place in in movie history. Um, but yeah, now it's French Dispatch. Easily the only movie I can see taking down French Dispatch realistically this year is Licorice Pizza, the new Paul Thomas Anderson movie. Oh yeah. So we'll see. But French Dispatch is very good. Um, I also saw the Eternals, um, which is a movie, <laughs> and. Has a raucous sex scene in it. <laughs> so you can say, says for certain that in this movie, 
moving pictures played in front of your eyes and sounds also yes. happened. There's a runtime, and it's a long <laughs> one, by the way. Um, yeah. I mean, here's the thing. I'll say it. It's not as bad as some people are going to tell you it is, but it is definitely not good. And I don't think that's any any fault of the director Chloe Zhao or of the way they did where they filmed it by using actual real locations instead of green screens. I think it's just a kind of a mess. So that's that. And then I watched um, the new Netflix movie, The Harder They Fall, which is like a Western mm-hmm. with a large cast of um, predominantly black performers. And the movie fucking rules. It has like one of the most interesting visual styles I've seen in a very long time. Um, the soundtrack is crazy cool, and it has a huge cast. And I'm actually writing a review for it, and it will be on my website, www.indistinct-chatter.io, uh, mm-hmm. pretty soon. So. I heard that it uses CGI blood, unfortunately. It does use some CGI blood, but because of the way that the... Because like the movie, it really heightens all of the colors... So the CGI blood, there are some times when I, it's kind of unforgivable, but there are times when it kind of like, it actually paints this tapestry, and because it looks so unrealistic, it almost looks good, because like all the colors are just so bright in these places that some of the digital blood looks good. Okay. Still, I would prefer to fit for actual blood, but other than that, I really fucking enjoy the movie. And I think I think it's really good. I think it's the best movie Netflix has made in a fucking nice, long dude. time. <laughs> Hell yeah. So yeah. How about you? You can't play SMT5 yet, so what's up? I've been playing a lot of modded Minecraft still. That's been my nice. thing. I started a new a multiplayer world and been working my way back up with that. Getting into heavy into bees. Uh, I also, this is kind of me being behind the times a little bit, but I did finally go and catch up on uh, what we do in the shadows. Finish season nice. three of that show, which owns. It is uh, probably my favorite TV show happening right now. Just in like every episode is a delight. Love watching it. Always happy to see it. So I'm excited to. I, I it really ends on a crazy note, and I'm, I I want to see what happens next uh, with the story. Yeah. Um. And so I just think that that's a, that's a fantastic television. I need to w- watch more Foundation, but uh, I'm I'm pretty behind on that show, sort of. But yeah, just been pretty much chilling for the moment. You know, waiting on waiting on stuff to kind of. I've heard Succession season three is good. I got to get into that and catch up on that at some point. Yeah, I'm behind an episode or two on that right now, but I do love it. I've been watching Lost a lot, and I've been so busy. I've been so busy at work that like I just can't. Succession requires me to use my brain more than most shows, mm-hmm. so I haven't gone back to it just yet. I have kind of a complicated relationship with Succession because I think it does kind of glorify these rich and powerful people. But at the same time, it also shows me big pieces of shit. And so I think that it's kind of like a Chernobyl in that I think it's saying one thing, but your takeaway could be something totally different if you're not Yeah, really. my thing about Succession is that in some ways it does, like, glamorize it. But also it kind of shows that rich people have just the stupidest problems in the world. Yeah. And they would all be solved if they actually had human emotions and could talk to each other on an actual level that wasn't all related to money. And then also the thing about Succession is that it's just it's like shakespearean stuff like succession the the whole the same family dynamic could take place in a trailer park but it's right. just the pe- people who write it are good at writing this stuff so it's like that so at the end of the day it's just like a good story being told with a certain backdrop and yeah i just love how the rich people are just incredibly petty and stupid well i feel like in that in the very first episode before the the real action starts of the episode there's that scene where i believe 
Kieran Culkin is the actor who plays. Is it? Is it? Is it Kieran Culkin is in the show. Mm-hmm. He challenges that guy to win the baseball game and offers him like five thousand dollars or fifty thousand. One million dollars. One million dollars. Yes. Yeah. He writes uh, a check and everything. Life changing amount of money, and the guy doesn't pull it off, and he tears the check in front of him. And I thought that was holy shit. Like, yes, that is rich people in a nutshell. Yep. Dance yep. for me, monkey, and I will pay you. And then, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I'll give some credit for that, for sure. Yeah. All right, man. Well, yeah. is that an episode? That's it. All right. Well, I am Smith. You can find me on Twitter at MCSurf. I'm Seth. You can find me on Twitter at Part-Time Pretzel. But on YouTube, I am Indistinct Chatter. And if you just want to read the stuff that I write, I have a couple of posts up on indistinct-chatter.io. Uh, our uh, th- other party member is Marcus Barkley, who's not here, but he does our our art for the podcast. You can find him on Instagram at Mr. Beaches. That's right, yeah. Uh, Mr. Dot Beaches. Done. Yeah, Mr. Dot Beaches. Uh, Mr. Mm-hmm. Beaches is a different count that's not associated with millennials. Don't go there. It's yeah. very hardcore porn. <laughs> our theme song was done by uh, Ben Powell. He has his own podcast called Southern Smackdown, where they talk about wrestling and they're from the South. If that sounds interesting. Go check it out. Uh, you can lead, lead a horse to water, but you cannot make it under it. Fuck NFTs. <laughs> we have stopped trying to solve our problems and are trying to outlive them. And from the oldest in New York, that's the latest podcast, baby. We're out. Out. <laughs>